big question is this, how do we use the eight frameworks inside the new science of physical health to overcome this statement? Personal responsibility for your physical health is a myth and it doesn't work. These eight frameworks do. They will make you more physically healthy than 98% of people in the community that you live in. Why don't we get started in today's episode right now? Hey everybody, welcome back here to episode number 74 of the Daily Drop for the new science of physical health. Today's topic, the language of life inside your body, cardiac fibrosis. This is absolutely a fascinating journey. For myself as well, I learned some really interesting things about this particular piece of language related to my physical health status and your physical health status, all the people you influence, that I never knew. So you're going to learn some things as well, which I find are very, very interesting in relation to what I choose to do, the behavior that I have as a result of knowing today's content really does impact my behavior. So why don't I do this? Talking about the language of things that you love. So I love the language of the new science of physical health. And I said yesterday I was going to have a look at, because I've picked a different theme every day about something I know off the top of my head that I've been obsessed with for most of my life. And I can just rattle those things off because I just know them from having you know wanted to get immersed in it. But what we don't, same theme as the last few episodes here, what we don't do is we don't get immersed in the life inside our own bodies. So I'll combine my two two of my favorite things, history and sport. And in particular, I'm a great fan of the Olympic Games, but the men's 100-meter sprint on the track. So just some things I know off the top of my head that I'm immersed about in that. So I'll give you an example. Um, back in 1936, the, the Olympic Games were held in Berlin, Germany, just before World War II, when the, um, you know, Hitler was trying to take over the world and then try, you know, try to do that with World War II. But before that, 1936, Jesse Owens, the African American sprinter, absolutely rubbed it in that guy's face and he won the men's 100 meters at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin in front of Hitler in 10.3 seconds. Unbelievable. Then the next one that I knew about was in 1968 in Mexico City. These are things that stuck in my head. The first person in the history of the Olympic Games ever to go under 10 seconds in Olympic final was another US runner, another African runner, in Jim Hines in 9.95 seconds. Now, that was 1968. He did 9.95 seconds. And for some reason, I don't know why I remember this, um, that in 1972, when I was literally only six years old, I remember Valerie Borsov from Russia won the men's 100 metres in 10.14 seconds. I don't know why I remember the name Valerie Borsov. For those of you who are from Russia listening to this episode, and I know there are some of you, um, and that uh, I think the Russian names were very different for people like myself here in Australia, so it stuck with me. Now, the next one I remember off the top of my head, I've got a friend of mine, I talk about this all the time. But in fact, a friend of mine who is about a couple of years older than me, when he, he was a track and field sprinter here in Australia, and he ran 
to this. So when would this have been? The 1980s, when we were um, young, uh, young people, you know, getting towards being 20. He ran 10.7 seconds here in Australia for 100 metres. And he's a great friend of mine. I've worked with him um, for a long time. And But in 1980, and those Olympics were in Moscow in Russia, the Great Britain runner called Alan Wells won that race in 10.25 seconds. Now, 10.7 and 10.25 don't sound very far apart, but in reality they are. And my friend would not have been close. I don't know what the rest of the people did in that race, but that was in 1980 in Moscow. Now, the one that I remember the most when I was 18 years old, the Los Angeles Olympics in 1984 were on, and the most famous sprinter in my lifetime, Carl Lewis, ran 9.99 seconds to win the 100 metres. Think about that. Way back in 68, Jim Hines won it in 9.95. Nobody beat him, or Carl Lewis didn't beat him, until 1988, and that was in um, Seoul in South Korea. And uh, and what happened then was Carl Lewis won in 9.92 seconds, but Ben Johnson, and this is world famous for anybody who knows anything about the history of the Olympics, Ben Johnson did win the race in 9.79, but the next day he was found out to take steroids and was banned for taking steroids. Then we had... Um, people like Linford Christie, the great Britain runner in 1992. When was the 1992 Olympics? They were in Barcelona, and he won it in 9.96 seconds. And he, and he at 32, Linford Christie at that stage, he become the oldest person ever to win the Olympic uh, 100 metres race. Then in 2000, it was in Sydney, my hometown, Maurice Green won in 9.87 seconds. Man, they were starting to get fast then. And then... The, the most, well, I said the most famous runner in my lifetime, sprinter. I should, I should have remembered, of course, Usain Bolt, which is a contemporary person we all know, but he first won the Olympics in Beijing in 9.69 seconds, broke the world record. And obviously he still holds the world record. So he wins it in 2008 in Beijing. He wins it in 2012 in London and he wins it in 2016 in Rio and became the first man ever in the history of the Olympics to win it three times in a row. Unbelievable. And, and and so that's a little bit of some stuff that I'm obsessed about that I know off the top of my head that I can roll through. What m- very few people could do is, and, and that doesn't, I'm just interested in that stuff, right? The things from the previous episodes and, and the, the 100 men's 100-meter track race, uh, I'm very interested in that. An Italian won it this year at the Olympics, which is amazing. Um, first Italian ever, and he won it in 9.81 seconds, so slower than Usain Bolt, but still the winner of the men's 100 metres for the Olympics this year. The comparative analysis that I've been kept keep making here is, I can know that you will have your topics of obsession, and we all do, and there's just things that we get into in life that are really important to us. That we that, like my wife, her topic of obsession is um being able to sew. It's like she is so good with my son's clothes. It was incredible when he was a baby, he's 12 now, when he was a baby, she'd make all of his clothes. Like literally make clothes from top to tail, so to speak. A mate like really incredible. So but we don't become obsessed with the language of life inside our body. And why? 
because we never get taught it, we never learn it. So I'm introducing to you today what I suspect will be a brand new topic for you called cardiac fibrosis. Now, I'm going to do this. In order to explain it, I'm going to hand you over to a doctor who's going to talk about cardiac fibrosis for about four minutes, a beautiful explanation. Then I'm going to come back on and I'll talk about some of the ways in which the correct dose of physical activity hitting the correct number of impact points inside our clinically validated health software will remodel and reshape your heart so that cardiac fibrosis doesn't become an issue for people who are willing to do it. It can almost certainly become an issue in hearts that are diseased and also aging. Both of them, what's aging? How old is aging? When does that start? Well, think about it. It starts every time you move through about a five-year period. So if you go from 20 to 25, it's starting to move. But the human heart starts to become quite aged from, listen to this, 40 years of age and onwards. And it can be beforehand. But physical activity, that's the correct dose, will help to remodel and reshape in a positive way to cause health adaptations so that your heart doesn't become diseased. I'm really fascinated by cardiac fibrosis. And so listen to this doctor, and I'll be back shortly. So my lab studies a condition called cardiac fibrosis, which probably most people have not heard of and are not familiar with, but affects a surprising number of people. So in cardiac fibrosis, there is a, we have a sort of a protein skeleton in our heart. It's, it's not a bony skeleton. It's a very soft, supple skeleton, but it provides uh, extra strength to the heart and helps make sure that our heart can take the, the pounding that it goes through every day. Our heart will beat 100,000 times a day. It undergoes these tremendous pressure swings. And so this, think of this as like a network of fibers that helps knit it all together and helps attach cells to one another, make sure that they can handle this kind of physical force. We've understood that fibrosis is a concern for many, many years. Um, we've seen what it looks like for many, many years, uh, although generally we've seen it on autopsy when we when you look inside a patient, look at their heart. Now we're, we are developing new techniques that allow us to see fibrosis within the, within the heart in a non-invasive way. So the patient goes in for basically a, a scan and we can get a pretty good idea of how much fibrosis is happening in, in their hearts. And, and this is something that's just developing in the last few years and, and that we're uh, uh, very excited to see because it'll give us a better sense of how common this condition really is. Fibrosis occurs after heart attack. It occurs in response to high blood pressure. It, it can happen if you have valve disease. Uh, there are many conditions that can cause fibrosis. Considering that there are millions of people worldwide that have some sort of cardiovascular condition, the odds that they have fibrosis of some degree, probably some clinically significant degree, is pretty large. In uh, my lab, we've been very interested in understanding the molecular signals that turn on these pathways to make more of this collagen. So this collagen, you know, as I said, it, it forms these sort of bands throughout the heart. I like to think of, uh, if you look at a street being built, you'll see rebars that are being laid down and then they'll pour the concrete on top of that. And the reason why they do that is because concrete withstands compression very well. That's why it makes great roadways, because you can put heavy cars and trucks on it and it won't crush under the weight. But 
when we have spring and fall and, and, and temperature changes and that concrete starts to expand and contract, it doesn't resist those forces very well and it tends to crumble. By putting rebar in, we help resist the tendency for concrete to expand and contract. And as a result, we've added strength to it by adding these iron reinforcing bars. The collagen fibers in our heart do a very similar job. They resist this expansion, so the heart doesn't blow out under pressure. But similarly, if we have too many, it then acts more like a cage and restricts the ability of the heart to do its job. So by understanding how that cage is made, how those collagen fibers are made, can we perhaps come up with a way to slow it down or to even stop it when there's too much collagen being made? And we've identified a new pathway that had never been looked at before in the context of the heart, where we've identified a particular protein whose job is to turn on the genes that encode these collagens. In other words, when we, when we make more of our protein, we get more collagen as a result. And now we've got evidence that if we interfere with the role of our protein, we get less collagen. So we can tune it up and tune it down as we need to. And that's very exciting because this starts to form the basis for a treatment. If we can target our protein with a drug or some other intervention, perhaps we can reduce the collagen burden. The very exciting thing is that we think the same pathway is involved in other tissues as well. So just as it forms these fibers in the heart, it can form fire, similar fibers in the liver, in the kidneys, in the airways especially, for example, if you have asthma or obstructive pulmonary disease. These are conditions where fibrosis is associated, where we get these additional collagen fibers being made. And we're starting to build up a pool of evidence suggesting that our protein is involved in all these processes. So at the end of the day, what would be my greatest um, dream for where this could go? We'd come up with a medication that would be beneficial not only to cardiac patients, but also to patients uh, suffering from kidney disease or liver disease or airway dysfunction. So there we go. The first listen to cardiac fibrosis. And the way that I read it is that it's just like when, and I remember when we poured, we poured concrete in our driveway once and you had to lay down mesh. And that's what this doctor was talking about. And it's like steel rods that is, looks like a mesh that goes into it to support the concrete better. Well, it turns out, I never knew this, that as you age, particularly if you're physically inactive, if you, and phys, the definition for our purposes here at the New Science of Physical Health, if you're physically inactive, where you get zero to 25 um, impact points, maybe even 25 towards 50, um, you're not getting enough physical activity. The goal is to get from wherever you are at once you start using our software up to 100 per day on a rolling seven days and to stay there. But here's the problem if you're not a person that's ever been interested in physical activity. Your heart muscle, whatever age you are right now, begins in each one-year, two-year, five-year segment to lay down what we what is called, commonly called excess deposition. This is the definition, medical definition. The excess deposition of extracellular matrix in cardiac muscle, like a mesh that hardens the, literally hardens the heart and makes it more difficult for your heart to pump. That's what cardiac fibrosis is. You can't feel it. You can't see it. You don't get pain with it until you're way down the track when all of a sudden your heart just simply doesn't function properly, meaning it won't pump out the correct amount of blood. Now, way back now, when you're listening to this episode, you've been introduced to this topic 
called cardiac fibrosis, which is like a mesh that starts to grow inside the wall of the heart muscle. And it's it, it's a protein. Talk about it. And it makes it harder, more inflexible. But if you get the correct dose of physical activity, and we can give you that because we can track it with the software that's been clinically validated on the world's largest heart study of 45,000 people and then expanded to over 730,000 people. Want the monstrous, beyond monstrous study and show that the correct dose of physical activity will put you in a position where you will either slow down, reverse, or not get any severe levels of cardiac fibrosis happening inside your heart. So you remember what I've said before, but when my father passed away, age 46, of a heart attack. It, it, for us as a family, it all just turned up out of nowhere. But in reality, the life inside his body, it wasn't turning up out of nowhere. One of the things in all says it in there's a there's a research paper that I got this from from Professor Wisloff and his team up there in Norway who helped invent or not helped who invented the software that we use. And the paper is called published in August 17th, 2020, really recent, right? Exercise and cardiac health, physiological and molecular insight. So the insight here. From that research paper I'm talking about is cardiac fibrosis is a common feature in diseased hearts results in in the excess formation of this matrix of proteins, particularly collagen, which leads to, I'll use a word called myocardial stiffening. Myocardial is the type of the the name given to the heart tissue. So a heart attack in medical terms is called a myocardial infarction. Infarction means death. So myocardial is heart tissue, heart heart attack. That's exactly what a myocardial infarction actually means. So cardiac fibrosis is observed in people who have heart attacks, people who've got other diseases like cardiomyopathy. If you've got high blood pressure, if you've got type 2 diabetes, you begin to have developed cardiac fibrosis. And what they know, what Professor Wisloff and his team knows is this. There is a remodeling that goes on with the correct dose of physical activity in the cardiac fibrosis of the heart and can help to reverse, slow down, or prevent it as you age. Now, it won't slow it down totally, but there's this big impact. Not slow it down, won't stop it totally, will slow it down, but the correct dose of physical activity, reaching the correct impact score number. Inside the software, where well, you're not guessing, you're getting it right every single day, you're knowing exactly how much to do, it remodels the heart so that you don't get as much of a problem. And what I'm really excited about with, and, and this is, there's a, um, a, a famous doctor who was the chairman of the National Institute of Aging in America. He passed away at a late age of Alzheimer's. But this is the statement that he made is famous for. This is um, Dr. Robert Butler. If exercise could be packed in a pill, it would be the single most widely prescribed and beneficial medicine in the na- nation. Well, that was America. I would say in the, on the planet, okay? We on the planet, the most single widely prescribed and beneficial medicine on the planet. So what causes cardiac fibrosis? Now, tune into this one because this is really interesting, really important. Coronary heart disease. How do you get that? 
you don't have the correct dose of physical activity and you have what's called a low active heart fitness score. You have to go to my episode where I talk about the influencer framework. That's one of the diagrams, the eight frameworks, eight diagrams inside the new science of physical health. In fact, it's the first one. Coronary heart disease is heart disease of the major blood vessels inside the body. You, um, so that causes it. How do you not get coronary heart disease or slow it right down or lower your risk? You do it by having the correct dose of physical activity that causes remodeling of the blood vessel network and takes away the precursor conditions or reduces its impact significantly. You get another thing called aortic stenosis, the abnormal narrowing of the aortic valve. It's a major valve inside the heart, right, which restricts the blood flow from the ventricle into the aorta. So parts of the heart, you can get aortic stenosis. That causes it. How do you prevent abnormal narrowing of that valve? One of the ways to do it is the correct dose of physical activity, the correct impact score on a daily basis. This is why I keep almost raving on about it, about the relationship between health adaptations, language like this, cardiac fibrosis, and lowering your risk of a cardiovascular event and the impact score because it's like a link from, it's like joining the dots. That's what it's like. It's like joining the dots. So the third thing that causes it is hypertension, high blood pressure. Remember what I've said in some of the other episodes that we've had is that high blood pressure is reduced significantly when you get more elasticity inside the blood vessel wall. How do you do that? Go back to the first, I think it's maybe episode 69, 70, where I talk about endothelial tissue. Because in that whole episode of Daily Drop, I talk about how you get increased flexibility of the blood vessels and how it all works and how you reduce hypertension. So here's what we can say with certainty about this whole area of cardiac fibrosis. So it's common in diseased hearts. And what ends up happening is, is that you reduce the impact or the growth of these of a fibrosis inside the heart wall by focusing in on how to achieve the correct dose of physical activity. I've got a whole free web class now on one of the websites that we have. You can link in the show notes. I've got three web classes that are for free. The third web class out of those three, they're about half an hour web classes. The third one is called Correct Dose. It's amazing and because it's all about how you track and how you can achieve the correct dose of physical activity as you build up from zero impact points. If you've never, if you're a per, I'm particularly interested in talking to people that uh, lose interest in physical activity, lose interest in how to be physically healthy. They want to be, but they just don't get into that world and the language of life inside their body. So this gives you a little bit of a look at cardiac fibrosis and how it, what it is, what causes it, and then the danger of it. Imagine a heart that literally has extra protein cells inside it, like a mesh that makes it stiffer and harder for it to pump. And you go through each, say, five-year section of your life, and it gets a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse. The opposite happens as soon as you start hitting the correct dose of physical activity, which we walk through in one of my free web, one of my, not free web classes, one of my web classes, and also in the book, 
called Basecamp because we've got to get people through these different frameworks. But that's what I wanted to touch on today because I found this one to be really interesting because something no one's ever, no one's ever, I've never spoken to anyone about this topic. All the cardiologists know about it. All the PhDs in exercise physiology know about it. But the average person in the world doesn't know about this language of life inside their body with this really interesting thing that happens to your heart, mine, and all the people you care about and influence unless you do something about it. It'll progress into diseased hearts unless you do something with that knowledge. And we do do something with that knowledge. We take you through the eight frameworks that are a part of the new science of physical health, which are all through throughout the book and through all the videos and so forth that come off that. Thanks so much for joining me this episode. Got another fascinating one tomorrow as we continue to look at these health adaptations, the things that happen inside the human body as a result of the correct dose of physical activity. But like the title of this paper, Molecular Insights, we're talking about molecular changes. And then later on, we'll move into physiological changes because there's a a difference the way that those two uh, are examined and looked at, but they're all linked together. Thank you so much for joining me this episode. I'm signing off now. It's been another nice, uh, fairly lengthy one, but really interesting. I can't wait to talk to you tomorrow about the language of something I'm obsessed with. I'll pick another topic, and then we'll get into the language of life inside your body and another type of health adaptation. Thanks for joining me, everybody. Bye for now. Have a great day wherever you're up to, and see you tomorrow. Bye.